Danielle Houston. I'm the host of this podcast, The Checkup. I am also a client advocate at Lockton Companies. And I especially love using this platform and the microphone to not only tell stories that I hope will inspire you, but also tell some stories that might just help our communities and help humanity. And I have one of those stories today and a person who is much more well-equipped to tell it and to share why it's important to give second chances. I met Ty Reed at a SHRM event here. It was the first in-person SHRM event in about three years back in March. And he presented and talked to human resource professionals about opening up this space of the need to fill roles and labor shortages and how we can make a difference in our workplaces by looking to hire people that might be overlooked. So Ty's story, he entered recovery himself in 2016. Ty has rebuilt his life and now uses the lessons that he has learned while recovering from homelessness, addiction, and life as a petty criminal to help others. Through his nonprofit, Recovery Career Services, which is dedicated to helping people in recovery find and keep employment, he provides career coaching and development to assist individuals in rebuilding their professional lives. Ty also uses public speaking, storytelling, workshops, and webinars to communicate his message to those in recovery, their families, and the business community about the importance of desperation, hope, and second chances. Woo! Ty. That intro makes me sound pretty cool, Danielle. Oh, it makes, it makes my <laughs> eyes water a little bit. We all know someone. Yes, absolutely. We all know someone. Welcome to the checkup. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Awesome. Well, and congratulations on doing the work every day. Thank you. Thank you. It is, uh, it's, uh, can be a rough journey, but it's absolutely worth it in so many different ways. So many different ways. Indeed. So the work that you do with recovery career services, um, this is more, this is more of a volunteer role for you. Is that accurate? Yeah, it's a passion role for me more than anything. I, it was something born, you know, during the pandemic out of recognition of a journey that I had that quite frankly was really, really difficult. And to, um, you know, just to give folks a little bit of my, my background in 2007, I was a really successful corporate business development and sales representative for a Fortune 50 company, had just been nationally recognized for year-over-year sales achievement. So it was pretty highly compensated and very highly recognizable, uh, recognized within my organization, but also had a secret. And that secret was that I was uh, pretty knee-deep in a alcoholism and uh, cocaine addiction at the time. But I was really kind of living two lives. And I had that, that daytime professional guy walking through nice offices, talking to nice people and wearing nice clothes. But I uh, spent many of my nights, you know, first drinking myself into a stupor and then chasing hard drugs um, on the streets. And it, I was able to, because I was so successful professionally, was able to kind of hold off some of the real effects happening. But in 2008, as many of us remember, there, a recession hit. So I lost my big job. 
And that period really started what I often describe as a slow motion train wreck. Over the next few years, I still worked and had some level of success, but my personal life was spiraling out of control. And by June of 2014, I was completely unemployable. And after being evicted from an apartment was homeless and yeah, literally homeless. Didn't have a friend's couch to surf on because I'd burned all my bridges. Wasn't really allowed at my family's house because I'd burned those bridges as well and had no idea where my next meal would come from or where I would sleep next. And spent the next two years kind of cycling in and out of jail, uh, multiple convictions, in and out of a mental institution, was lucky enough, quite frankly, really lucky to survive a couple of suicide attempts. And when I got sober in 2016, despite the fact that I have an MBA from the University of Washington and I interview pretty well and had some uh, extensive corporate experience, I the only job I was able to get was part-time as a janitor. Now, not to knock being a janitor because that's necessary and it's honorable work, but it was very surprising to me that somebody who, quite frankly, has been as lucky as I've been would have such a hard time finding employment. And so as I started thinking about ways that I could give back to folks who might be walking that same journey, maybe in recovery, maybe have been involved with the criminal justice system, this idea of helping people with employment you know, kept coming up over and over again. And I feel really honored to be able to, to step in and help people on their journey. Well, there are a couple of things that really stand out to me. And well, and first and foremost, I just wanna say, I'm so glad that you were not successful in destroying yourself. Um, you. you know, it is, um, and, and like I mentioned earlier, we all know someone and we all have witnessed in some way and we're seeing in our communities what is happening with addiction and homelessness. And wow, we really have to be able to forge a path to help people get back into living and being part of their community and being a contribution to their community because God willing, there will be people who get help and get well and where they're at today is not where they're gonna be tomorrow. Um, and, and the second thing that stands out, you know, you mentioned the pandemic being this opportunity. I think every HR person I have really had deep conversations with about what are the things that concern you the most? One of the top things is people coming back into the workplace who have either sunken deeper into an addiction they had before or someone who over the last two years has developed and they are coming back into the workplace. Um, not the same. Um, they're coming back into the workplace and they need a different kind of help than what many have been accustomed to offering. So I think this is really timely and that your work here and the message that you have for us too is really timely. There are two things that you have talked about um, that second chances, giving people second chances really solves two problems. Can you share that with our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. There, as many people have seen, there is a labor shortage uh, right now. And a lot of it, it, it's for a lot of different reasons. So um, lots of folks have actually taken early retirement and have left the labor market. Lots of folks during the pandemic actually started businesses, believe it or not, during the pandemic. And lots of folks have just kind of made a choice, a financial choice to stay home. 
As a result, the labor market has shrunk pretty dramatically. So even though we're seeing unemployment numbers because of the way that unemployment is actually calculated, the unemployment numbers are actually pretty low. But at the same time, there are millions of job openings available right now because that labor market has shrunk so, uh, so significantly. So there's one problem. The other problem is that there is a huge talent pool of individuals who have criminal convictions that are having difficulty finding work. According to the, the FBI and the Department of Justice, somewhere between 70 and 77 million adults in this country have criminal convictions. And that's uh, it's about one in three adults. And to put it into perspective, that is more people than actually have bachelor's degrees. So it's a big, big number. And what that also means is pretty much everybody who's watching and listening to us today probably knows somebody, uh, if it's not them, probably knows somebody that has had some involvement with the criminal justice system. And unfortunately, those criminal convictions also carry with them a pretty significant stigma. There is a lot of uncertainty and in some cases fear that employers have about hiring folks who may have some past criminal justice involvement. And so there's these two issues that are out there that really are kind of searching for each other and they can help to solve each other's problems. Um, you know, one of the other things that is kind of that is connected to this is also kind of a retention issue. So you, you mentioned that there's going to be a number of employees that are making their way back into a hybrid environment or an in-person environment in the workplace. And maybe some of the issues that have either been exacerbated or they've picked up during the pandemic are gonna become a lot more evident. In the past, many employers might've kind of thought that it really just made more sense to, you know, not necessarily push those employees out of the company if they had issues like that, but not to try to keep them too much. But because of the way that um, the way that the labor market is today, it really is not only from a compassionate standpoint to an employer's benefit to, to work with those individuals and try to help them and keep them on, but from a labor standpoint, it just makes a lot more sense to help individuals who are currently working, who may be having some struggles with mental health or with substance use, to try to be compassionate and help keep them within the company because it could ultimately obviously help the individual, but it's going to help the employer as well. A hundred percent helping the employer and also really helping to contribute back into a community effort to keep people from homelessness or going back to addiction. I don't know what the statistics are. Maybe you do, but you know, if someone is working really hard to recover and they can't get a job or they can't get some grace in the current job they're in, what's the likelihood of recidiv recidivism? Uh, pretty high. Uh, so, you know, I can speak to this from, a, from a, uh, a personal standpoint and from the stories that I'm told by the coaching clients that I work with. I know from a personal standpoint, the early days of recovery stunk. Uh, and I hear people say over and over again, the first six months are, are the toughest. And that certainly has been my experience. And on those days when, quite frankly, I didn't know if I wanted to be sober because it was just so hard. And the only thing I could think about that would make me feel comfortable was to retreat back into alcohol and drugs. Having the purpose and the accountability that a employment brought was really, really important to me, even when I was working a job that I wasn't particularly crazy about. Knowing that someone was counting on me to show up and perform, and I had this obligation, kind of helped to keep me motivated on the days when it didn't feel so great to be motivated. And you know, there have been a number of studies done that talk about this connection between um, a couple of things. So employment and recovery, 
and then employment and recidivism. And so when I think about recidivism, I think about people who are reoffending and perhaps going to be reintroduced to the criminal justice system. And uh, you know, the number one cause of recidivism is actually poverty. And it kind of makes sense. So yeah. if I, you know, everybody has financial realities, you gotta, you know, you gotta pay to live somewhere, you gotta eat. If you have a family, those realities can be a little more pressurized, right? But mm -hmm. if you're not provided opportunity to make an honest living wage, unfortunately, many people are gonna fall back into their their old ways. And because you know it's easier, maybe. Or because they feel like it is uh, it is a guaranteed way to make money, but that you know obviously that's not great for a couple of reasons. It creates another victim in the community, be it a, an individual or a business. And in most states, it actually costs about forty grand a year to house an inmate. So now we don't have someone who's showing up to get a paycheck and contributing to the tax base of a community. We have someone who is now starting to drain financial resources. So employers have a huge role to play. When it comes to you know helping helping to build stronger communities in that way, and yeah, I, I think most employers kind of get that. But um, what I often will run across, and not because they're bad people or or because they think ill uh, ill of folks, but the exact same folks who will drive down the street and see someone who is homeless and point at that person and say that they ought to go get a job. Or the same person that will lament the fact that people have uh, people commit crimes over and over again and say that something should be done about that are also the exact same people that when one of those folks shows up on their doorstep to get a job uh, will be hesitant to pull the trigger and give somebody an opportunity just because of maybe these preconceived notions or these fears they might have. So there is this kind of a, a pull effect that employment can have upon solving some of these issues like homelessness and poverty and crime. And I'm not sure that employers think about it in that way, but I encourage them to do so. Yeah, I, I have a bit of a personal story around that too. And I shared with you when we initially met um, someone very close to me and in in my family circle went through an experience of being an active addiction and having an encounter with law enforcement that really brought him to a place of making a decision about what kind of life he wanted to have. And he decided he wanted to live a life of being sober and rebuild and, you know, have, have the life that he had envisioned for himself and not this other. And, you know, what he experienced was that in many ways, it would be easier to go to jail. It would be cheaper to go to jail and probably even in some ways, a lot more expected to do that because the path to go through recovery and treatment and the legal system and what the state requires when you're going that path to is incredibly expensive it's labor intensive. And he ended up, you know, for a period of time working two different jobs so he could afford his living expenses and, you know, the fines, the requirements from the state, what he needed to pay for his treatment program. And it was such an eye-opening experience because from my chair, I just kept thinking, man, if he didn't have the support of family who could, you know, bring him back in, you know, into a home environment where he could have some of that soft place to land, 
and was really having to do this for that first six months that you talked about, um, I don't know. I don't know that he would have made it. So there was that piece of it that was incredibly instrumental to his recovery. But the second piece was absolutely his employer, you know, for a company that probably didn't have to, you know, to your point, they probably could have just let him, you know, go off somewhere else and, you know, Hey, figure it out, kid. You know, um, they worked with him with his schedule. Um, there were people he worked with who would give him rides. There was such an incredible amount of support that came from the employer. And, you know, I still like, I look at that and think like, that is the gold standard, I think, for an organization to create a place. And I think, I think you refer to it as a recovery friendly workplace. Absolutely. Well, and you know, the, the story that you mentioned, and again, my personal story and stories that I hear from, from coaching clients all the time is that nobody does this alone. This is, you know, that it takes a village, you know, really uh, is true. And so there's, you know, a couple things that I, I feel like I need to point out. Um, despite what many people think, there's a study that's been done since 2014. I believe it's by the National Institute of Health. And if I, it's, it is, it is a government organization that um, has some involvement around recovery. And they do a survey every year and they basically survey about 40,000 people. And um, what it says is that most people who actually identify that they have had some sort of substance or uh, alcohol issue in their life, they actually recover, recover about 75% of them. But um, the other thing that is true is that in every single comeback story that we see, whether it's on TV, in the movies, in personal life, nobody does it alone. There is always some person or group of people that show up when someone starts to do the right things to help them along the way. And you know, not that employers need to consider themselves as crusaders, but I quite often will, after I do a, a speech somewhere, I'll have you know, someone show up and say, well, I, I understand that you're talking to employers and the role that employers have, but you know, what is it that I can do as somebody who doesn't have hire and fire ability and doesn't own a company? What can I do to support individuals who may be in recovery and putting their lives back together or folks who may have been in the criminal justice system and they're putting their lives back together? And the number one thing that you can do on an individual level is advocate. And when I say advocate, I don't necessarily mean going to the, the capital of your state and you know, standing on the steps and, and doing that, although you certainly can. But you know, everybody probably knows somebody who is writing their own comeback story in some way. And if you know someone in your life who appears to be on the right path and they really want to do the right things, and they're starting to live their lives differently than they did before, to the best of your ability, try to advocate for that person. And that looks like a couple of things. If, you, if there's a position that comes up at your company and you think this person deserves an opportunity, you know, talk to your manager about it. Let them know that you think they should, they should give them a shot. Now, obviously, all you can really do is try to give an interview. What happens after that is on the individuals who's making the comeback, but you can give them some help that way. If you go to a church and you see that there is uh, you know, someone there owns a business and they have an opportunity available, somebody in your network has an opportunity available that you think that individual might be right for, try to make a connection for them. That is the single biggest way that we can kind of step up and try to be that person in somebody's life, you know, that person that helps somebody along their path. And it's not, you know, this isn't charity. It's not a handout. I'm not advocating that you would, you know, you should just give cash to somebody, but, you know, to the best of your ability, if you could help somebody on their journey, 
then that's something that all of us can do regardless of you know, whether we own a company, whether we have hired fireability. Absolutely, we can all do that. For HR people or organizations who maybe haven't considered um, looking at this workforce, this potential workforce, and you know whether it's bias, whether it's a little bit of nervousness or just you know the unknown of the things, what would you recommend for an HR person to do? What kinds of questions can they ask? Anything else that they could do to really start to get comfortable with this idea and maybe try something new? Yeah, it's going to sound uh, kind of weird to say, but the first thing I would encourage HR folks to do is just slow down. Um, you know, quite often we have these um, we have these preconceived notions. So, you know, you, we interview a candidate, like the candidate, you know, maybe want to move them to the next step in the process. We run the background check and we find out they have something in the background. And um, quite often because of how busy people are, um, it's pretty easy to just kind of eliminate that candidate for a variety of reasons. Maybe the, maybe the company has a policy that says, yeah, maybe we'll hire people with criminal backgrounds, but it requires some additional steps, which may be really time consuming. Maybe we have preconceived notions or biases that say that you know, we automatically eliminate this person as a viable candidate. But if we slow down and just ask a couple of questions, we can often discover some stuff. So um, I truly believe that additional information helps to wipe away bias. That's my legitimate personal belief. And so if we stop and ask just a couple of questions. Now, in the, in the course of most hiring processes, when we see folks that have past criminal justice involvement, we may ask the question, uh, you know, please explain to us what happened with these convictions. But the second question I actually think is most important, which is the one that doesn't often get asked, which is, what's been happening in your life since those criminal convictions or conviction occurred? And then kind of give the, the candidate an opportunity to, to talk a little bit about that. And maybe you'll need to prod them a bit and ask them some things like, well, what do you do in your free time? Or uh, you know, what's your, what kind of hobbies do you have? Things like that. But if you ask them what's been happening in their lives since the criminal transgressions occurred, then you're gonna give them an opportunity to kind of tell you some stuff. And, the clients that I work with, and then personally, you know, they will likely tell you things like, I'm in recovery. I entered a 12-step program. I work with a sponsor. I have joined and become a member of a church. I've reconnected with my family. I've done volunteer work. I have taken some part-time jobs. And oh, by the way, here's some recommendation letters of folks that you can reach out to. If you give folks an opportunity to provide you with data about them and allow them to kind of tell you, you know, how their life has changed, you might get some information that indicates, you know what? Yeah, maybe it's a risk. By the way, hiring any employee is a risk, as we all know. You know, yes, maybe there's some risk attached to this person, but it seems like they're on the right path. And oh, by the way, they also happen to be one of the best, if not the best candidate for the position. That's also an important piece. We're not talking about creating employment opportunities for folks that are not qualified or people that aren't going to bring something of value to your company. Right. We're talking about folks where they are going to bring something of value. They are the right candidate for the position. And oh, by the way, now we have this additional information, which we'll be able to use to justify making our decision to offer someone an opportunity. I like that. Um, and one of the things that, 
you have also talked about is that it's not uncommon for you know a hiring manager or an HR professional to have a personal experience too with someone who's gone through addiction and perhaps in that experience you know as they have witnessed someone in that cycle they have their own um their own trepidation of like man i know how rough this can be you know i know that as someone struggles with you know, addiction or treatment that things happen, or maybe they're not honest or whatever those, those experiences, you know, turn into the bias that we have, right. That asking some of those questions, like you just framed also help us to think differently about, you know, the question of being trustworthy, right. Perhaps that person that you're speaking with um, has had a different experience with treatment and are in a totally different place, but asking the personal question of how, like, how is life now yes. can completely change, uh, completely change the conversations. Well, and I, I know that, you know, HR folks can sometimes be nervous about asking additional questions mm -hmm. uh, because they fear that they're going to ask something that's kind of off limits, but keeping it broad um, and really uh, what we're really asking you to do is just give the applicant an opportunity to, to talk and kind of tell you some of their story and then use that story as, as a deciding factor when you're, when you're thinking about whether to offer them an opportunity. So what other advice would you have for an employer too who may listen to this and be thinking about their own workplace and you know they've they're hiring people or they're watching people who are coming back into the workplace who are maybe struggling with addiction or the recovery process. Um, what advice would you give them about taking some steps to to have a more recovery friendly workplace? Well, the first thing that I always recommend is that you have the kind of culture where folks know that it's okay not to be okay. Um, and you know, lots of lots of companies have have taken the step of actually adding a you know some sort of mental health statement. Um, you know, something something very simple. You know, it's totally easy to put together. There's tons of examples of them on the internet. But something really simple is you know we at ABC Company are committed to you being your best uh, both at work and at home. We recognize that sometimes folks have struggles and uh, difficulties and we're here to support you. And if your company happens to have a, an employee assistance program, make sure that you, know, you then highlight the employee assistance program and the types of things that they can do for it. Um, so the company making, having that statement is one thing, but then the other thing is having it normalized throughout the organization that it's okay to um, actually take care of yourself and that self-care is, is a vital component of being able to perform well at home and at work. And that's, in my mind, that piece actually starts with frontline managers. So frontline managers who meet with their, their reports regularly, that's great. I think it's fantastic that you do that, but you should take an opportunity, number one, to not just make those one-on-one -on -one meetings all about uh, business. You should try to connect with them somewhat on a personal level, on a human level, as I like to put it. And also when you have, uh, when you have company-wide meetings or you have staff meetings, Maybe you read that mental health statement, you know, once every quarter, and then the manager could say something like, uh, without sharing too much, I sometimes have struggles too. 
And when I have my struggles, there are certain things that I do to make sure that I center and I take care of myself. And then maybe they can share a couple of things. Maybe it's meditation, maybe it's exercise, whatever it is. But it again reiterates that it's okay for employees to not be okay. And so it, it starts to create this culture and this awareness that it's okay to ask for help. Um, it's healthy to ask for help and it's normal to ask for help and you won't be, the employee won't be judged for doing so. So that's one of the first things that you can do because you really want to try to put employees in a position where if they feel like they need to ask for help, they're comfortable doing so. And that is the most recovery friendly th thing that you can possibly do. There's lots of other you know, policies and practices you can put in place. But to me, that is the most important thing. It's fostering that culture. Ty, what kind of work or help can you offer an employer directly? If someone's listening to this today and they're thinking, you know, we, we could use some help or education, are, are those some things that you can offer? And if so, what does that look like? Uh, absolutely. There are a, a number of things that we can discuss. We can discuss uh, the best way to make a recovery-friendly workplace based upon the needs and the, the construction or the makeup of your company. We can talk about some ways to institute more inclusive hiring practices when it comes to considering individuals who may have past criminal justice involvement. Uh, we can also do some workshops where you actually craft what your, uh, what your policies might look like, uh, workshops with frontline managers and talk to them about maybe how to deal directly with employees who may be in recovery or maybe, um, maybe are demonstrating signs of substance use on the job. So we can have that discussion. And then of course, uh, I do public speaking as well. Always happy to show up and you know, tell my story, which can be kind of entertaining depending on the way, depending on the topic of the day. Uh, there's a number of ways that we can engage. And finally, and maybe most importantly, um, yeah, I offer all the one-on-one -on -one coaching services that I offer are absolutely no cost. I'm funded by private, private and uh, corporate donations. So if you have any employees who um, may be struggling with substance use and are in a position where they kind of need to save their jobs uh, and they're not quite sure on a personal level how to do that, uh, I'm happy to meet with them and put together a customized program for them that will help them rebuild their reputations at work and refocus on their employment and ultimately uh, hopefully save their careers. Because uh, everyone really does deserve another chance. Maybe not a second one even. Maybe it's a third or a fourth. But yeah. man, don't, don't we all need that? Um, don't we all need that? Well, I uh, am deeply appreciative of your work in this space, your willingness to talk about it too, because, you know, as you talk about stigma, of course, you know, I think of how many times people are concerned about maybe raising their hand to ask for some help or to share that they're struggling. And, you know, the beautiful thing is that most of the time when someone is willing to do that, they find there are a lot of people around them who can actually really relate and who are going to be that ally or the person that can help them in that moment, or perhaps even get a little bit more knee deep into the journey with them. So thank you for sharing your story and your willingness um, to do that on, on this platform. Thanks for letting and, me be here. Yeah, I, I am incredibly appreciative. And you know, in the future, I know there are a couple of other areas that you'd really like to be able to share and get into um, in this employer space. So I would invite you to 
come back anytime and, and do that here, I would uh, be more than honored to be the a platform for that message. Um, if you are an employer who would really like to get into the how can we do this, um, Ty, can, can they just contact you directly through LinkedIn? Is there another place? They can reach me uh, through LinkedIn uh, or they can go to my website at recoveryandwork.org and uh, fill out the contact form and contact me. I'll be happy to get right back to them. Love it. You make it very simple to um, connect with the community. I just encourage you today, wherever you're at, to take a look around you and see who is the person that perhaps you just need to see today. They could be waiting on someone just to say, how are you? And then, you know, let's take it, let's take it from there because we are all certainly in this together. So thank you for listening. Thanks for watching. And until the next time, take good care.